Welcome to Roll for Crit, the podcast in which we discuss tabletop games, card games, board games, RPGs, and more. Actually, I think I covered all of them. Uh, so thank you for tuning in and listening. It's going to be a fun show today. My name is Jonathan. I'm Will. And of course, we start off each show with the ceremonial rolling the die to see how well they go. But let's be honest, they're always great episodes. But Jonathan, <laughs> thanks for being honest about that. Yeah, We've got three dice here. One through three. Which one should I roll? Okay, uh, as usual, my choice is very impactful, so this this week I'm feeling die number three. Ooh, you have returned to the Forgotten Realm die from the uh, Magic Gathering bundle. Oh, I didn't know there were old dice in the mix here. I thought I got a fresh batch every week. <laughs> no, 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 I shuffle them. You gotta return, especially this one. Remember, this one got the 20 for us last time, so. Yeah, hopefully it's not weighted like you, like we think. Uh, no, <laughs> the whole point was it's not weighted, and, and this die wanted to make sure you understood that, because it rolled a five this time, so mm. uh, be prepared to hear me stumble a lot. Mm, a five, of course, for anyone listening not familiar with role-playing games, not good. <laughs> uh, but that's okay. I think we're going to make up the, the difference in points that we need to succeed this episode, because... We have a special guest today, of course, as we often do. Joining our party today, you know her from the Dice Tower. She's also Master of Fireworks over at Restoration Games. Please welcome to the show, Suzanne Sheldon. Hey, Hi. everybody. I, uh, wow, that five. I hope it's not <laughs> a portent of my presence on this show. No, no, don't Yikes. take it personally. Yeah, no, no. Uh, it's, it's you I, referring I, I how honest, we're going to go. I'm taking it a little personally. A little bit. I am. I will have a talk with a die afterwards. Okay. We'll, we'll make sure it understands. Do a yeah, little we, die shaming. Got it. Cool. Yes. We definitely need to shame that, shame that die. Oh, I think that one needs to be. Well, it gave us a 20 before, so I find usually they, they balance out. That's that's my feeling. You know, you got to like people I put too people, much pressure on it. I brought up that I got a 20 last time. It got scared. <laughs> well, sometimes I feel like people say, oh, this die is like rolling poorly. So I got to switch it out. But I feel the opposite. I'm like, oh, if it's rolling poorly, that means it's got a good one coming up. Oh, you, oh you're, you, you're of the school. love you. <laughs> casinos love you. At this, this is why game. I don't gamble. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good idea, buddy. <laughs> Except on Dogecoin, of course, which can't fail. Oh. Anyway, <laughs> we're not here to give financial advice. We're here to talk about board games. Uh, let's get into it with our very first segment. New the news roundup. Here it comes. News roundup. There it is. That's that's how you know we're in the news roundup. First story this week, kind of, I'm going to group three together because three different awards have announced their nominees for this year of uh, various tabletop categories. First up is the Ennies, the Ennies for 2021 RPG Awards. I believe traditionally uh, the winners are announced uh, during Gen Con, uh, but uh, we'll see this year. But there's a whole new slate of nominees from the role-playing world, including uh, from Free League Publishing, Vason, uh, which was their Nordic horror game, uh, got some nominations, uh, along with this game called uh, Heart uh, uh, Beneath the City. Sorry, but, but yes, The City Beneath, excuse me, uh, which is an interesting uh, kind of fantasy horror game as well. And Alice is Missing, got some noms, uh, including for best game. That's the game in which you communicate via text only 
which I've been very eager to play. See also Sentinel Comics, the Sentinels of the Multiverse RPG up for some awards. So we can talk about the the Ennies a little bit, but uh, also there are a couple smaller uh, award categories that I think some people, most people probably won't be as familiar with, including the Indie Groundbreaker Award, awarded to games strictly made by super indie game designers uh and it includes names like honey and hot wax and space goblins games that i know nothing about so we can talk about that <laughs> and then also the zenobia award uh the zenobia award is very interesting this is awarded specifically to historical themed games uh, from uh, less represented groups. So uh, this seems appropriate with, you know, lately we've been talking about uh, colonialism, all these issues in the board game world and how sometimes the historical themes aren't presented in the best way. These are games that cover a whole bunch of topics. Uh, some of them are, are about, for instance, um, fighting back against uh, Nazis, Nazi occupied um, I believe it's uh, which which place was it? I lost it uh, somewhere somewhere in Europe. Nazi occupation regimes. I did my research really well. The Netherlands, excuse me, uh, as well as like Indonesian independence all across the world. All different cultures represented. One of them had Cherokee folklore involved. Really interesting, different subjects. So again, this is three different awards that the nominee lists have been released for: the Ennies, Indie Groundbreakers, and the Zenobia. So Suzanne, we'll start with you. It's a lot to take in, but I'm really curious um, of, of these awards. Have any of them jumped out at you? Do you have experience with them, uh, the games, or are they awards that you follow? What do you think about them in general? In general, the one that I'm most interested in is definitely the Zenobia Awards because I focus mainly on board games. That's where my heart lies, and that's an actual board game focused award whereas mm -hmm. i think the indie groundbreakers and the NEs are more like rpg that said i really do like rpgs it's just a matter of making time and getting the right group together to play them but i'm in i'm in a years long dnd campaign right now with a bunch of friends and i've done some really fun one offs and one of those people you mentioned it already alice is missing from spencer stark I don't know if you've ever had the chance to talk to Spencer, but I am a massive, massive fan of Spencer just as a creative individual and like kids on brooms and things like this. Mm. I, I think Spencer does phenomenal work. I, if I'm correct, I think Spencer also had – was Spencer also the designer on Icarus from Renegade as well? Mm, I'll, I'll, I'll double check on that for you. Uh, or what, not was it Icarus or was um? Shoot. Yeah, I remember the Icarus RPG, but maybe you're thinking of something different. No, the RPG where you use the dice and you stack yeah, yeah. the dice. That was, oh, Icarus. was the, the, yeah. the tower thing. Yes, mm -hmm. I loved that game. <laughs> yes, he was the um, so designer. It's yes. really nice. Okay, awesome. Yeah, so it's really nice to see Alice is missing on that list too in the Ennies, and I think you know Ennies is. Ennies are one of those awards that if you're in gaming, you've heard of, right? Even if you aren't following it. And, and that's how I feel about the Ennies. So I was really excited to see Spencer kind of acknowledged there. But mm. um, yeah, the Zenobia Awards, it's, I, I really like the projects that they came up with. I've followed them a little bit from the beginning when they announced, uh, I care deeply about diversifying the board game industry from 
the production and design side all the way to the players at the table side. And I think that something like the Zenobia Award starts pushing towards that in a positive way. And I think when you invite when you make a little bit of an effort to invite different voices to the table that may not be typically represented, you get some really interesting stuff. And you talked about, I mean, I'm always down to fight Nazis, right? But I, I, that's a more traditional one. But then you can see other themes in these games that I don't know how often we would see them. So you've got a game about Indonesia's struggle for independence and managing a school. You've got... Haiti, a game about Haiti and fighting for abolition against the French colonial government. You've got a game about Molly houses. And I think that that is just, if nothing else comes out of this contest or award system, having games and presenting these different themes and these different settings that are really thoughtful and engaging and interesting and different is really exciting for board gaming and i'm i'll play all of them i I hope i get to play all of them because they look rad yeah looking at the nominees for these awards i just kept thinking like what how how are these games like you you know you think that you're around in the industry you kind of have a handle on (laughs) what's out there uh but clearly there's a whole wave of games that i'm just not uh keeping up with that aren't on my radar that i want to learn more about and I, I really want to try and it's great that this hopefully this award can kind of give them that boost and get more attention to those games and also should be noted um the zenobia award the winners uh, can receive uh money and but also all the contestants uh get like mentorships and and guidance and things uh from the people who are driving the award so uh, they definitely they have this overall uh, goal of furthering diversity like you said which is really cool to see. Will, I, I think uh, probably, I think for us, the Ennies is the thing that, you know, like I said, the games we've, more of the games we're familiar with, but what was your takeaway from any of these? I mean, yeah, I've actually played a few of these and wish we could play more. I know obviously a big one for me is uh, Vasin because I love the, it's very monster centric and not, <laughs> oh, let's just use a sword or something. But like, like I said, going back to you said, the board games are on the Zenobia, and I coming from video games before I entered board games, I felt like it was very hard to do something weird or different. Board games, we have had things that you would never think at first. I'm not even talking like on um, representation or cultural level. Like we have a board game about cooking or cleaning. So, mm-hmm. but so being able to see people like, look, there's more than just a night. There are so many <laughs> right. great things out there that we just have the potential to, and all these just look, I'm like, Oh, Ooh. <laughs> and like, and when I heard finals two, before I even clicked the link, I was like, okay, so this is gonna be like two or three, but you scroll down and like, Oh, there's another, there's another, there's another. <laughs> like, yeah. it's like a whole buffet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of juicy stuff there. I think RPGs are often the same way. I think a lot of times those are, if you want the weird, very interesting themes that's usually a good place to look uh as, mm-hmm. at least for what rises to the surface compared to you know farming games and cthulhu and whatnot <laughs> um uh, so it, it's very it's cool to see these awards and see all these different very different themes very different people making these things very different experiences 
And also I like that throughout the year, we, we just seems like we have, there's like a couple different award ceremonies for like every few months you have a different one in the board game world. <laughs> there's not a, it's not like uh, movies where and TV where it's like, yeah, this is kind of award season. I feel like we have a rotating uh, time to talk about awards throughout the year. So it's, it's, it's nice to be able to celebrate things that people might not have gotten their hands on, but I, I really want to play Alice is missing. I'm, it just oh, seems right? like, like, I, I just think I'm going to love that game. <laughs> I, I get to just write stuff. <laughs> I don't have to talk. <laughs> very creative, very cool idea. Uh, so we'll have links in the show notes to all these different nominees, the full lists. People want to check it out and learn more about these different games. Uh, and I, this story I want to talk about next because there's a, a new announcement for kind of a new line of games that are appealing to me, at least. I don't know if they'll appeal to anyone else, but we'll find out. Uh, Will Shorts, who is kind of like the king of crossword puzzles. If you've ever done a crossword puzzle in a newspaper for any amount of time or in various books, you've probably ended up somewhere playing a Will Shorts designed crossword puzzle. And uh, this company, AMP, has formed a partnership with Will Shorts to put out a line of games. Uh, I don't know if Will Shorts is truly designing them, but I think it's he maybe is supervising and just kind of using his uh, design sensibilities. And the first one they've announced is called Down and Across, which of course has you trying to form uh, clues and words to fit those clues in the form of kind of a crossword style, one word down and one word across. But I don't know, Suzanne. Are you are you a crossword person, and is this is this the kind of thing that appeals to you, or am I or am I just the biggest nerd on this podcast? <laughs> Those aren't mutually exclusive. <laughs> you're things. right. You're right. <laughs> okay. I think Good it's point. interesting. I'm not a crossword fan in that, like, I don't make an effort to play them. But if you're hanging around, or there's one in front of you, or I like crosswords. They're great, and I think they're great for your brain, and they're fun, and they're interesting. But I'm not like into them. Like you know how people are super into crossword puzzles, and they know <laughs> all the tricks and all the rhythms, and they have strategies. Like that's way beyond my capabilities. But I think the partnership is interesting. It's it's interesting that you brought up. Is this just kind of using the Will Shorts brand or how involved is Will Shorts? I, I really like that. I have no idea, but I thought that was a really interesting question. I mean, mm. the reality is Will Shorts is so famous that even people who aren't into crossword puzzles know who he is. And I think that that alone will sell this game. And that's great. I'm I totally support <laughs> it. I'd love to try it. And see if is it going to be? Do you know if it's going to be like a series or is it just going to be one box or what their plans are there? It sounds to me this is I, I don't know if a hundred percent, but the the impression I got was that there would be yeah, like they would the games would not be related, but they would all just kind of be branded Will Shorts games and all be just various word games of different types. Okay, uh, cool. I I would love to check it out when it hits the shelves. It how could you say no? Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough competition, right? You know, because, of course, we've got such big word games. You're coming into the space with stuff like code names out there. Uh, so but if anybody can compete, I guess it's Will Shorts. And I do wonder, you know, you said everybody, even people who don't play crosswords have heard of him. Uh, but I wonder how far that translates. Like, does the Will Shorts name on a box uh, sell? It's got to definitely sell some. But I wonder how far it goes exactly. 
Uh, I mean, we've got another will on this podcast, so oh, I, I, I'm not a good barometer for that because I just don't know anyone. I'm terrible at naming people's names and stuff. So that's true. Don't use me that's for that true. test. You always get him confused with that other famous crossword puzzle maker. Uh, well, there. look at it this way: what what Will Schwartz's name will do, and I suspect the price point and the even just looking at the picture of the box online. What this game is going to do is it's going to get placement, right? Will Schwartz's name will get it on the shelves in Barnes and Noble. It'll get it on the yeah. shelves at Books a Million. It'll get it on the shelves at Target. So that alone will sell copies, even if the people picking it up don't necessarily know the name Will Schwartz. They see a game out right. here. It looks kind of bananagrams ish. It looks real simple. Like the cover is very mass market oriented and how it's just displaying the dice and the the letter tiles. So. Will Will Short's name sell it? I don't know, but it certainly will get it placed. <laughs> yeah, I think I, yeah. he needs to make a game in there that's all about how many times can you use, use the word will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be, all, that'd be all about you. Uh, yeah, will, was, will I, Short's game. <laughs> will, we, will Wheaton can play it. Uh, <laughs> I can. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, like, I can just I can see this on the shelf at Barnes and Noble. It just looks like it was made to be there <laughs> next to some other, uh, like casual party games. Uh, okay. So, so will we, I am going to use you as our barometer. If you, you see this on the shelf, you look, you're buying this one. You interested in this? If I did, it would be to buy it for you. Cause I know you love word games. <laughs> it would be Aww. like, this is the perfect Christmas wow. gift, but that makes sense. I feel like that sort of fits where crossword puzzles would. And of course, even then, I mean, like you said, it would get them to the shelves. And even if let, let's even look at people who just like crosswords, like we don't even have to think of people who don't play, but maybe know the name. If they're like, this is like, oh, I'm going to get a board game for once. You know, this is getting more people into our hobby. And once again, that's that's a good positive feedback loop. So still seems like a win. There you go. Yeah, let's uh, keep keep expanding that market, letting more people in in different ways. is always good. Uh, we'll see this coming out uh, later this year. So uh, maybe we'll pick up a copy at some point. Maybe Will will get it for me for Christmas. <laughs> 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 now, now it's on the record. So if you don't, I'm going to be pretty disappointed. Well, now I can't because then it's not a surprise. Uh, I've, I'll forget about this <laughs> in a couple <laughs> of hours. So uh, moving on to the next story. Now, this next one involves uh, that their Magic the Gathering from Wizards of the Coast. And it's uh, kind of a weird one that involves some potential legal implications. I'm going to turn this over to, to you first, Will, because uh, you know more about this than I do. So what what is this story exactly and what, what made it jump out to your attention? All right. So Magic the Gathering is a trading card game. And okay. if you know any of these things, you know, you usually have to make a deck. And a lot of times, people, especially now, people put their decks up online so people can see it, maybe build their own or just copy it. And that's a whole thing some people get grumpy about. But this guy who's known, uh, Corey, I'm going to butcher his name and apologize, man. Doctorow, I think I'm saying it. Sure, Doctorow, Doctorow. He likes to find loopholes and problems with copyright law. So <laughs> okay. he looked at Magic the Gathering and found a way to copyright a deck list. Now, so hypothetically, is, he, is this someone you said he loves like finding loopholes? He was he already a magic player or did he just get into it for this reason? It 
didn't really talk much about how much he's into magic. It's he's more not of, like a known magic player, though. Yeah, no, like, but he's known about like messing with copyright laws. He's okay. the guy who points out all the weird stuff that happens. Okay. And what this could mean is hypothetically, and it's really weird, but like if any one of us, for example, not even magic, any card game, if someone copyrighted the deck list, and let's say we were playing a digital version of the game, someone could say, I get your revenue or something, because it's like their song. That's my deck list you're using. Mm-hmm. And then you have to question, like, if I swap out a few cards or something, is that new or not? And it becomes this really weird thing that I thought, because it goes beyond magic. It's any trading card game pretty much means they can't be on Twitch anymore or else you get sued. And then, like, can you copyright then, I don't know, like a certain engine in Terraforming Mars? You can't use those cards. That's my <laughs> card setup. Like, it's such a weird thing i just thought it'd be like to talk about like what i mean obviously i assume whatever this loophole is every the trading card companies alone are gonna be like we need to stop this but <laughs> yeah, like yeah. It's the idea of that <laughs> yeah from so from my limited understanding of the law and from what i read here and from some people's reactions it sounds like like were this to be challenged in court actually like probably this wouldn't really hold up in any real tangible way uh but it is interesting to think about i guess the implications of it and if if other people might try to do similar things that it could potentially down the line lead to similar kinds of copyrights that could maybe create an issue i mean there are plenty i mean not maybe plenty but there are people out there who literally all they do is try to copyright you know, a whole bunch of stuff and then just try to sue everyone to use it, hoping that enough people right. will just cave. <laughs> right. Uh, Suzanne, what do you, do you, do you have more legal expertise than us or do you, what do you think about this? Uh, this might say for any kind of card game, I suppose. I, I wish I had more legal knowledge. Now, actually the article got forwarded to me by Justin Jacobson at Restoration Games. And Justin Jacobson is actually a practicing lawyer. In fact, he was a lawyer for decades before he uh, left that practice and became a board game publisher. And he certainly thought it was interesting. So you should talk to him about that from a legal perspective for sure, because I know he has opinions. But for me, you know, that's magic is essentially how I got into hobby games back in 1994. So I always like seeing this interesting news bits about Magic the Gathering. And I, I, so the way that you're talking about now, as you're going into it, it sounds like it's a patent troll. Like that's what you're describing, essentially. Is that how it reads? Because the article I read just talked about the, 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 copywriting of the deck and explaining that they didn't talk about the the background of the person who was doing it so that's all new information to me this show that's really interesting they talk a little bit about it he's not as much uh, at least the way i read it and from their description and maybe i'm wrong i didn't research him more maybe i should have was he's less of a troll and like messing with he's more like the testing the laws and and showing the faults i guess he's more like when okay you okay. hire someone to be like, break my security system. <laughs> Not the, like, I don't even think the deck he made was like, he just made put angel and demon cards together. He didn't make something that would 
like he would probably ever reinforce himself. That's that's mm. what I was reading. A lot of Magic players were like, "It's a trash deck." <laughs> like, okay. like, well, I think that's sort of the point. Was something yeah. one angels and demons is a catchy name, um, and not to be like, "Oh, he just got the the tier one deck," and to make everyone like instantly sweat or even like make a race the start. Yeah, I see. Mm -hmm. If you look at his Wikipedia page, it, one of the first things it mentions is that he's a proponent. Uh, of the Creative Commons organization. He's in favor of liberalizing mm -hmm. copyright laws. So yeah, it sounds like he's he's doing this as like uh, almost like a protest in a way, like showing why, saying, why can you do this? <laughs> Isn't it dumb <laughs> that I can do this? <laughs> and I would say, yes, it's kind of dumb. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, I don't know if the, like I said, if the, I guess if you really wanted to play out the hypothetical of, like you said, copywriting a terraforming Mars engine or something like that. Uh, uh, that seems pretty hard to enforce. I mean, I, I think even this, the only like thing you possibly could enforce it in would be like tournament play, right? Or maybe for a, a stream well, or something. But it, not yeah, for, like, it in seems your own it home. would hit. It wouldn't hit the average person as much as anyone who's on streaming and stuff. Probably. Um, I think the one other thing they brought brought up too, which is even. A more at least for me very confusing is nfts like even though it's magic like this is my deck nft oh or something God. interesting comparison yeah yeah I don't, we don't need to get into nfts <laughs> <laughs> so much going on. i know um there's enough microtransactions and secretary market and magic alone <laughs> van rider games was just announced they were going to make an nft but now they're pulling back because there was all this pushback on it, it was, it's it's a weird NFTs are weird. I don't I still don't understand half of it. <laughs> um, it's money from nothing that also just wrecks the environment. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Uh, strange, strange, strange stuff happening. Well, we'll see. We'll see if this goes anywhere, if there's any more uh, strange copyright things like this in magic or elsewhere. And then finally, real quick, uh, before we get out of the news, uh, just want to mention uh Rest in peace. We, we learned about the passing of Steve Perrin this past week, uh, who was the lead designer of RuneQuest, uh, the role-playing game from Chaosium uh, set in the world of Glorantha, which was hugely influential. A lot of the like rules and systems from that uh, spread out into their other games, including uh, Call of Cthulhu. And, uh, you know, set in this, this fantasy world, I think at one point it was... Uh, uh, really like one of the biggest RPGs out there uh, next to Dungeons and Dragons back in the day. So um, Steve Perrin, uh, you know, they, they put out this nice, very nice uh, kind of obituary on Chaosium's website talking about how influential he was and his impact on the, the game world and everything. Uh, Suzanne, you said you don't have a chance to usually get too many role-playing games to the table, but uh, uh, do you, I don't know if you have any any experience or any any know-how about the the world of Rune Quest or anything like that. Well, more specifically, Seven C uh, mm. was uh, it was something that I dabbled in that world a little bit a while ago. But um, I mean, we've actually lost a, a few people in the hobby gaming world over the last couple of months, and it's mm -hmm. it's it's sad to have to say goodbye to Steve Parent as well. Just somebody who was no matter how you feel about RuneQuest or 7C or, or uh, Call of Cthulhu or things like that, just how um, integral or important his role in the hobby was in helping form these kind of really 
uh, formative games for the industry and for the hobby. So that's always a loss for sure. Yeah. I always I think about with uh, especially actors uh, and celebrities that uh, just in with the way that at the time period we grew up versus the time period that like a lot of movies and things really first started becoming popular and mainstream, like our, like this generation slash there's some overlap has seen a lot more of these like notable celebrity deaths just because a lot of the people that we grew up with started in that time period and we're seeing them get to that age. And I feel like we're almost, we're kind of starting to see this a weird thing to think about in the board game industry that a lot of these pivotal people from the early days of tabletop gaming uh, are, you know, are getting older and we're seeing these kind of these, like you said, these, these influential, these giants of the board game world uh, leave us. And yeah, it's a, it's a strange thing to be, to witness to it and it's and it's definitely sad but uh hopefully on the bright side it's also you know kind of an opportunity to uh take a look and examine these games and these people's lives and everything and take stock of uh what, what they did for the industry and just for anyone who uh, you know we never had the chance to meet him but um it sounds like he made good impressions on folks at conventions and other and at the companies he worked at so uh good stuff so steve perrin rest in peace and that is it for our news section. We are now going to move on to more frivolous subjects. Next up is Kickstarter picks. Oh, this one looks uh, nice. It's nice. It's nice. This one. Kickstarter. Kickstarter. Okay. So each of us has chosen uh, a crowdfunding project that we're interested in that we'd like to highlight on the show for you today. Suzanne, what is your pick? Wicked and wise. Oh, man. This is a trick-taking game, and you may not know this, guys, but I am a massive fan of trick-taking games. I love them. I played, I've been playing trick-taking games since I was a child, and if you want to talk about intros into playing games, like, that's really where I started. So anytime a trick-taking game comes out, I'm always interested and if you look at Wicked and Wise, this is being published by Weird Giraffe Games. The designer is Fratessa Elise, who I've had the pleasure of talking to a few times. Just a delightful person overall. But this game, man, take a look at it. One, the first thing that's going to pop out at you is it's gorgeous. And that's just something you're seeing in games, right? Games have realized that art matters, illustration matters. And I believe Beth Sobel is in charge of the illustrations on this one. So I'm a okay. big fan of Beth as well got my attention visually nice job wicked and wise <laughs> but you gotta i mean games gotta have some gameplay right i mean i could buy art prints if i just wanted pretty things to look at so in wicked and wise it plays it's a pairs style trick-taking game kind of like euchre or pinnacle love that cool and one player in the partnership plays the dragon and one partner plays the dragon's friend it's mouse which, okay, now you're getting with me the cute too. I'm in, and like the illustrations are just banana pants cute. So basically there's this card interplay between the dragon and the mouse in the player pair so that they can strengthen the way that they play out their hand. I'm a huge fan of Pinnacle, and there's a little bit of that in that game as well, so I'm, I like that element here. But what Wicked and Wise also adds are special goals that you're trying to achieve. There's these treasures that you can gain on top of kind of the regular trick-taking play. So it does follow like card suits and following suits and things like that that you would typically see. 
Uh, I love that it plays two to six. Apparently, I haven't tried it, but the apparently the two-player variant that's included is great. So if you've played Fox in the Forest or Claim, you've got these other kind of two-player trick-taking games. I'm a huge fan of those. So the fact that Wicked and Wise has a two-player variant, I think is really exciting, especially because some of the reviews or previews I've read of it make it sound really, really good. So, I mean, here you have a trick-taking game. It's gorgeous. The gameplay sounds really interesting and fascinating, and it offers this cool two-player variant. Uh, I had to back it. I'm totally in. And I think it's only $25 to get a copy of the game. Yeah, I see that. Or uh, $8 if you want to do the print and play. Uh, yeah, even better. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like you said, the art is immediately eye-catching. Uh, it's, it's got that It's got that uh, red wall fantasy there's a dragon a little bit yeah yeah i mean anytime i see a mouse i just think red wall so (laughs) totally (laughs) but uh i love alliteration and i love ampersands so they've got me with the title as well (laughs) they really they really nailed they really checked all my boxes uh yeah so yeah i'm really glad that they had that good a uh, good two-player game because honestly, when you first described, I'm like, "Oh, this is a two-player one. There's someone's the dragon, someone's the mouse." You're, <laughs> and right, right. It, so it just makes sense that they should have a really solid one. But it's nice that it can spread out too. And like once again, obviously, for me, you know, you put a dragon in there, I'm in. And I'm, and I like the dragon's not just some evil thing. It, there's this really cute picture in particular. I just see the dragon lay on the gold, and the mouse is right on its tail, just like, "Hey, how's it going?" Like it's just. They're buddies. Yeah. <laughs> Adorable. Yeah. I'm always interested too in in trick-taking games, which I feel like maybe are having like a bit of a I don't know if renaissance is too strong a word right now, but uh they've been popping up a lot more like interesting trick-taking games with twists to them. Yeah, uh, and, and I'm I'm eating it up. I'm loving it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, glad to hear that. So wicked and wise. That was your pick. Will, what's your pick? So my pick is No Escape Redemption. This is actually an expansion for a game, but I did not hear about it before. So to me, it's all new. Uh, this is a tile lane game when you are desperately trying to find, of course, the only escape pod, because apparently when we are all in space and the station's going down, it's going to become every man for themselves. But I am a big fan of these, of like these massive tile lane things and see what you lay out and running around. And it seems like this adds some really cool things that I haven't seen in those. And uh, things I think you would like, Jonathan. They had a, uh, a hidden role mode where someone is actually the saboteur, the one who started everything. And as well as some other roles. So it adds a new social deduction. I guess almost like Among Us kind of thing going <laughs> okay. on. Uh, they also add this mode where then it, beco- it sounds like it becomes sort of uh, you actually have to take everyone out else uh you have to get rid of everyone it's a little bit weird but of course they add some new rooms which sound sound interesting and equipment because if you're in space you want cool cool stuff you want uh fun toys and gadgets to mess around with mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so i i mean like i said this is an expansion but it's one of those ones where you can just sort of jump in and get what you need which sounds nice and there's another expansion as well that added aliens and also like you need to collect scientists because you you want to actually try to preserve the knowledge on the ship so I thought this would be a fun one to, to take a look at. And definitely, like I said, I like that running around the the hecticness that can occur during that. Yeah, once again, you have managed to baffle me with a choice that I didn't see. <laughs> every I, week I, am really every week I try. I try my best to, <laughs> to get a to get a conclusive, but I'm like, this I had not seen this one at all. 
but yeah, it's 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 it sounds like an interesting one. It's designed by another Jonathan, so you know, you got a oh. little short scheme. I got this one. <laughs> that's that's how you get me on board. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's how I pay. I look at the names of the designer. That's all I care about. <laughs> yeah, I get it. I get it. Uh, how much does this one go for? It so. It's a little weird, like I said, it, since it's just for the expansion, it starts at like $28. I think if you actually get the base plus expansion, it's 68 But, you know, with Pledge Managers and whatnot, you probably could uh, mix and match for what you need. Got it. So it's No Escape, and this is for the Redemption expansion. It's on Kickstarter right now. All right, so there's so there's a bunch uh, that are just kind of left on the table here. Like there's a new, there's a big expansion for uh, Edge of Darkness uh, that's out yeah. there. Obviously, that's a pretty big game. Uh, but I think uh, there's a couple I kind of want to talk about. But uh, in terms of a game, I'm interested in what is a new edition of what I think many would consider a classic, but I had never had the chance to play, which is Get Bit. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Ra- racing game, so to speak, where you are playing numbered cards and whoever has the lowest number gets to move to the head of the, the line uh, in that order. And then there's a shark and whoever is left behind, they get one of their limbs bitten off. So you're trying to read people and play cards. You might want to not play too low or too high. You kind of have to figure out what's going on. And this is just a redone artwork, new box, new components. There's also a new expansion, which uh, I think uses some stuff from an old expansion, but redone. So one player actually plays as the shark. Uh, and they're trying to bite people's limbs off and knock them out of the game. <laughs> uh, it, like I said, it's one of those games that like I've just seen it forever, but I, I think it was like we just for whatever reason missed it as one of our kind of introductory uh, party games. But it sounds like, Suzanne, you have some uh, familiarity with the original Get Bit. Uh, yeah, I've got the original Get Bit still, and it's been a long time since I've played it because I just have to play a lot of games, so <laughs> it's hard to get old favorites back to the table. I mean, it's been years since I played Get Bit, but I really do remember having fun, and it's got this cute gimmick where you've got these player figures where you're literally pulling them apart as you get bit <laughs> and removing their legs Gruesome. and their arms, which... <laughs> Honestly, solid gimmick. It's really entertaining <laughs> as you do it. And you know how when you're at the table, are maybe you are these people where you Uh-oh. fiddle, you fiddle, you're fiddlers, <laughs> right? I know somebody. I will leave podcast. no comment on that as I play with these screws that we recently removed from a computer. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the perfect game for you because the fiddling is part of the game. You just have to remember not to detach a limb that you're not supposed to detach. So yeah, I'm, I, it's nice to see greater than games, pick it up. I, I hope it gets some traction. It's from really great people. It's a cute game. It's simple enough that you can play with kids. And I think that they would be super into the pulling apart of the little <laughs> dealy bopper characters too. So I'm glad you mentioned it. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, I, and I think making sure you don't pull off the limbs you aren't supposed to, that's just good life advice. You know, no matter what fair, you're doing. Fair, fair. Uh, so for... Tw- uh, it's just a flesh wound. <laughs> uh, $19 is for this new edition if you're interested in Get Bit. But I also wanted to talk a little bit about from Wormwood, they have this hexagonal gaming system. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. That, now I'm really glad I'm bringing it up, uh, which is... <laughs> So they've had this before. 
four. And I think this is, they have some new additions to the line, some new types of pieces. Um, and basically it's these magnetic trays that are all uh, shaped like hexagons that you can use to organize your games, not in the box, but on the table. So some of them let you have a little space to pour components in. Some of them actually will hold cards for you. They even have one now, uh, you know, they're also, they, they double as coasters for your drinks. And one of them on the underside has a bottle opener. So you can use it to open your <laughs> bottle and then use it as a coaster. I was just wondering if anybody, I mean, Suzanne, have you like either with this or with other similar types of products, is this kind of like table organization thing, something that uh, you're into? I mean, are, are, are you not? Because <laughs> like I've got a whole, I have these felt trays that I've made where they sit flat, but you can button them at the corners and then they form little trays. I've got a ton of those that I've made. I use the silicone cupcake cups, like baking cups, liners, and they serve as great little cups. I have purchased food storage containers, like the mini solo cups with the lids. And I use that for game storage and bit storage. And I like to create little player packs. So this kind of project speaks to me so strongly. And the thing is, right? It's wormwood. And mm -hmm. wormwood is so beautiful. Their work is so gorgeous. Their craftsmanship is top notch and you pay for it. <laughs> right. And, and so you, you go through this darn campaign and you're flipping through and you're like, Ooh, this one has cards. Ooh, this one holds cards and has a little cup. Ooh, this one's got a spell tracker. Like, did you look at the, the one that uses the magnetic beads that, you can use it in your RPG where you can track like your spell mm. slots and oh, yeah. your saving dies. And all. Like I want that so much, but by the time you start to add it, you're like, Oh, okay. I just want to spend $5,000 on hexagons <laughs> for my table. This seems not wise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that is, that is a good point. It's kind of like uh, the Jasper shelves we were talking right, about. Right. When you were talking about with Tony and Marty. Right. Yes. Yeah. That's like, yeah, the, like you said, you get what you pay for. So it's, it's the question is, I guess, like, what is worth it to you? How badly do you want that high quality uh, on the table experience? And yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you asked, like, are you not into it? I don't know that I, I can't say I'm not into it, but we've, it's not something I, I mean, maybe you have dabbled with it a little bit, Will, but I've never really, I don't know. I feel like I might be overwhelmed by like, so what do I, which of these do I need to take down now for this game? Maybe I'm overthinking it. <laughs> I don't know. My, my problem is, <laughs> and I think this goes back sort of like uh, you get what you pay for kind of deal is I do love this kind of stuff. But it's like, oh, I'm just going to buy this tub of wear. I can get like five on sale really cheap right now <laughs> just, right. and get this. And it feels bad in my head to spend this when, what a big shame. I don't have like a dedicated board game table. Like I don't have that beautiful right. table that you can put like leaves. Oh no. On is top. that a big shame? I don't have that. I just feel like I see all these people like, yeah, we do this Kickstarter. You have this table. I'm like, yeah, I just, I have a regular table. Um, and I got uh power ranger coasters that I got for Christmas. <laughs> nice. Nice. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I think the other thing is, I don't feel like this is the kind of thing where you will just maybe the spell one you could do this with, but I don't think this is where you go. Oh, I'll just get this one. Feels exactly. Like if, yeah. Mm -hmm, if you're mm -hmm. going to get one of these, you need like 10 of them. <laughs> it, it, that, that's how they get you. <laughs> yeah. No, that's the thing. 
But I mean, I also like I also just got excited because when you said like using the cupcake, I'm like, oh, cupcake, yeah, that would work. So like <laughs> that is actually just I'm like, oh, I, I should look into that. That's a probably really nice, <laughs> and it'll be pretty and look nice, and it's. Not, so yeah. it's hard too when I feel like there's also so many other clever ways right. for tokens yes. and whatnot. Sure, sure. Yeah. Well, if uh, you're out there listening and you've got money to burn, you can check out the <laughs> hexagonal gaming system by Wormwood. We'll have links to all these projects in the before, show notes. Yes. Before we get okay, to the next section, mm-hmm. I just want to say this now before anyone's like, why didn't you say this, Will? Yes, I saw the Transformers chess set. <laughs> it's chess. I get it. I'm just saying it now. <laughs> Before anyone, I wasn't going to say anything, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Transformers chess set it, that also it's exists. Chess. Bonus, bonus pick. It's chess. <laughs> uh, they don't. Tra- well, if you get your pawn to the other side, it transforms into a queen, right? Yes, but uh, if you want Star Scream, I guess hmm. that's what. It- yeah. All right. Uh, let's get to now some games we've been playing in in our real lives in table talk. I think that bumper gets longer every week, so I keep adding a little bit to it every time. <laughs> All right, Suzanne, we'll start with you. What what do you want to talk about? I know you've been playing a lot lately, but and you can talk about it as much as you want, but what's some of the games that have really been most exciting for you recently? Well, I'll start off with Disney Gargoyles Awakening from Ravensburger. Now, I'm not, I'm pretty sure I'm about maybe 10 years older than you guys. So were you into Gargoyles the cartoon or did that miss you? Oh, I I was. I I was very into it. I loved it. I was as much a Disney person, but I do remember it because I, like I said, I've always liked monsters. So I remember seeing like maybe one or two and be like, oh, those are cool. So (laughs) like not enough to tell you anything about the lore, but it was definitely in my childhood. Okay. Well, well, you would be right. It is really cool. So... uh, (laughs) Disney Gargoyles Awakening, uh, this is a co- mostly a cooperative game that is exactly, you know, set in the world of Gargoyles. You get the minis, you get awesome miniatures for each of the main Gargoyles characters that you can play. And it's a, basically a scenario-based cooperative where there are four scenarios in the box. Three of them are fully cooperative, and one of them is a one versus mini scenario. So they actually mix up the game just a little bit that way. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you're going to set up this board and set it up for the scenario. And then each character that you play, you get your own stat board and you get your own little card deck. And it's it's a card-driven game where you play cards, take actions. You run around the board trying to achieve whatever the victory condition is. Maybe that's knocking out your opponents. Maybe that's there's kind of a pick-up-and-deliver one where you have to get these uh, data tokens to a certain location, that kind of thing all before the enemies reach their achievement and you lose the game. Now, I am a massive fan of Gargoyles the cartoon. I loved it when it came out. I loved it again in a rewatch because it's on Disney Plus now, so you can watch it whenever you want, which is super duper awesome. Mm. And the game did a really solid job of capturing the feel of the cartoon between the miniatures and the art and things like that. One of the really cool standout features of the game is that it has a bunch of 3d, I guess, terrain. So you have these 3d cardboard sculptures that you have to assemble 
and they sit on the board and they represent buildings and they're some of them get quite tall and you can move onto the buildings and the buildings impact your movement. So for example, if you want to go up a building, it costs you more action points. If you are on a building and you want to travel, you actually can quote unquote glide. So you get a little extra movement and which is very thematic and very cool. And if you like that world and you just like the idea of going on this cooperative adventure and kind of live out a battle in the Gargoyles universe, the game does such a great job of that. And I have a lot of fun playing it. The miniatures look awesome. I know I already said it, but I got to say it again. <laughs> I just had a lot of fun with it. And I really like this trend I, I feel like 10 years ago, you got a licensed IP game and there was a lot of eye rolling because chances are it was going to be pretty mediocre from a gameplay point of view. Mm-hmm. And it just feels like lately over the last two or three years that a licensed IP game, it's got a really good shot of being a solid game. And I think that's mm-hmm. wicked awesome. And here we have Gargoyles, I think is a really strong example of that so i've really enjoyed the disney gargoyles awakening game um i'm not sure it's on shelves quite yet i was i actually was i filmed a playthrough of disney villainous at ravensburger because their offices are actually local to me here in the seattle area and they had a small stack of disney gargoyles and i think the media coordinator saw me literally drooling and staring (laughs) at the boxes loving like just obsessed with them and she's like do you do you need to do you need to try this game and I said yes please so it should be out soon it's not quite out yet so I'm sorry that I'm talking about a little in advance but you should check it out as soon as you can get your hands on it no you're absolutely right not only that with the properties if you bought a game like 10 years ago too you wouldn't be saying these minis look pretty you'd be like oh the cardboard's already falling apart (laughs) like there's just something about that I just feel like they realize, oh, we people like stuff now. Though I do have one sort of question for both of you, since I sounds like you both know the show much better. Why do you think it will come back? Do you think we're going to get a Gargoyles reboot? And if and why hasn't it not happened? Have yet? they talked? They haven't. Have they talked about that? Or I don't. I don't know. I mean, that's what I'm asking. Like, it just seems like it would it wouldn't be too hard to be like, it's. It's got cool creek guys. It's got a fun cast. It's in New York. <laughs> it's in New York. So yeah, I mean, I, I'm just I will say eventually everything from our childhoods will be rebooted. So yes, it will happen. <laughs> fair, totally um, fair. I don't care as long as so. First of all, the original holds up surprisingly well for what it's worth, and as long as they get Keith David to voice the main gargoyle Goliath again, they can reboot it. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) As long as they get Keith David to do Goliath's voice, I'm in a hundred percent if they reboot it. Uh, If they do a TV show, likely if they do one of their live action Disney, probably not. (laughs) Okay. All right. (laughs) Yes. I brought that evil into the world. I just said, yeah, thanks for that. (laughs) Yeah. In my memory, it was, I feel like it's such a, it's almost in the realm of like the Batman animated series, like that kind that, that level of, you know, like kid friendly, but uh, more mature feeling kind of a show. I don't know. I haven't watched it in a long time, but it sounds like you mm-hmm. said it holds up, but, uh, and I, and I would say also adding on to the IP discussion, even more specifically, uh, Ravensburger has been doing a bunch of great, uh, little IP based games that I've really enjoyed that are, 
they're all they all feel like they're consistently of a certain kind of uh complexity that's accessible for for people who aren't big gamers but they're not super dumbed down and really capture the theme of whatever the property is really well i've 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 appreciated that from them as of late so that's Disney Gargoyles Awakening. Love how they always have to throw Disney in the title of these board games. Yes, yeah, of course. <laughs> but, uh, and now n- next you've been playing something that is maybe one of the best titles of a board game ever made. And I'll, I'll let you be the one to say it first. Oh, thank you. Oh, I'm so excited because I do love saying it. <laughs> Super Mega Lucky Box. Wow. Super Mega Lucky Box. You can say it slowly, you can say it fast, and it still sounds awesome. I mean, there's a good game there, too, thankfully. <laughs> Not just a good title. Yeah, I don't know. Have you guys... Um, I, I, do you like roll-and-write games? I, oh, I very much do, we, we even though dabble. I tend to lose them. I, I always have a blast with them. <laughs> so sure. Super Mega Lucky Box is a new roll-and-write style game from Phil... Walker Harding, Sushi Go, hello. And <laughs> I, I love Phil. I love Phil's design sensibilities. I think he finds a way to pick out the fun in a game and really just hyper-focus and distill the game around that. And I think that that's a brilliant skill. And it, I think other people respond to that by the success of his games, right? So here we have Super Mega Lucky Box. This is being published by Game Right Games. I love that Game Right does roll and write games because they're picking really, really good ones. And Super Mega Lucky Box is similar to Silver and Gold in that you are writing on cards themselves. So you get this deck of square cards that have a little grid on them. And this is just numbers. And then you have a deck of cards that has numbers one through nine on it. And it's, it's twice. So you have two ones, two twos, two eights, that kind of thing. Shuffle those up. Cool. Then you're going to get some of these cards, and it's the simplest flipping game. Like, it's so ridiculously simple. It's almost like you don't, if you were to read the description, you kind of go, all right, is that it? Cool. You write on cards. Thanks for that. Oh, no. (laughs) Like, you're into this game. You, as the cards are flipped over, you've got three cards in front of you. And as the number cards are flipped over, you say, okay, here's a seven. Okay, so you're scanning your three grid cards and going, okay, I have a seven on this one. I have a seven on this one. Where do I want to cross off a seven? So it's almost bingo-ish like that where you, the cards flipped over and everybody can mark off one of those numbers on any of their grids in front of them. But when you complete a row or a column, there's often a bonus. Maybe you're going to get a reroll token. Maybe you're going to get an end scoring token that's like a little moon, or maybe you're going to get another number. So, okay, if I fill in the seven here, then I complete that row, which gets me a four. And I can use the four on this other card over here, which gets me a column, which is going to get me a heart, which is going to get me a score for this round. That kind of combo deal in what is a very simple, straightforward roll and write game. It's brilliant in its simplicity and it's fun it's just really light it's so easy to teach it's throw it down it's the kind of roll and write that if you have enough components to play with a thousand people you could play it with a thousand people at one time i love a lot of things about this game it's it's definitely a great entry into that kind of straightforward roll and write world that offers 
a little bit of extra spice on top. So I'm a huge fan and it's affordable. It's 16 bucks. Like, come on. Well, I'm you, you've sold me. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, first yeah. looking at the art, I love it because it looks like almost like it'd be that almost feels like to me it'd be like Jumanji, like this weird old game you find all of a sudden has such amazing things. But the other thing I want to talk about too is just the look and what you said, how it's like bingo. I brought this up with a couple other games. I feel like we're also seeing this thing where people are like, we've seen bingo or guess who? And like, okay, there's some good things there, but we could actually do make it better. And that's what right. this is. You still have the random thing, but it's not simply just waiting until you get your bingo. There's right. this clever, like, as you said, you can start chaining things if you get the eight through uh, that. It goes another one, gets another one. Then you get a moon symbol, which it looks like it's for scoring or something. Yep. And I can just imagine just being excited like, oh, this this is when I get my my big wave. <laughs> yeah. And you, you have those turns, right? And you're racing to complete these cards. There's some cleverness in the scoring in terms of things decline. So the earlier you complete a card where you get to cross off all the main boxes on the card – it will score you more points at the end of the game. So there's an interesting element there as well. For such a simple rule set, once you get into it, you realize, oh no, there are some legit choices here. But the beautiful thing, and this is what I think Phil does so well, is the game almost tricks you with its simplicity. And it's the kind of game I would feel comfortable teaching to almost anybody, no matter their gameplay experience, because it's that simple. But once they start to, once the machine starts to click and they start to see the pieces interact in terms of, do you prioritize finishing cards? Do you prioritize getting reroll tokens? Do you prioritize trying to do number combos? Then the magic really kicks in. And I think that's a great thing. And it's got the best name ever. Super mega lucky box. Amazing. <laughs> and uh, I just want to say, I don't think this is a smart move what I'm about to say. But so. just because of the name, <laughs> I would love for them to do a reskin of it. Just because it reminds me of the name of this show that probably no one else knows of. That was called Super Robot Monkey Team Hyperforce Go. <laughs> just how many adjectives can we put in one box? <laughs> Heck yeah. <laughs> we'll see what the expansion brings. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I like the just in general. I feel like a lot of Roland Wrights, uh, including like some of my favorites, like Welcome to. Uh, go in the opposite direction where the roll and write genre itself is super accessible, but sometimes they can be really like, okay, you got to count all these things up and you got to know these formulas and numbers and be thinking about these seven things at a time. So it's, it sounds nice to have one that's like you said, just very, it's very straightforward and just puts it all out on the table for you to understand easily. Totally. <laughs> Basically I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> I, oh, brother, I hear you. <laughs> so, yeah, super mega lucky box. Isn't it Love fun it. to say? It's so good. It's so good. I'm going to be doing it later. <laughs> on the what show are you guys been playing? I'm holding back. Oh, I am so glad that you asked. <laughs> I'm so glad. So, uh, well, we'll piggyback off that a little bit and say we have been playing Rolling Realms, which nice. is the new from Stonemaier Games also a roll and write game. Uh, now we cannot officially, we're not really supposed to talk about our opinions on this one until this coming Friday. And we'll have a, we'll have a, a review on our YouTube channel. Um, but we can, we can, it was based on a, he originally made a print and play version of it. And uh, we, you know, we can, you can look out there and find out what it is. You, uh, 
you have different cards and you're trying to score them in different ways. And each turn there's two dice rolled and everybody uses those two numbers in a different way uh, across their different dry erase cards that all have their own scoring conditions. Um, but we did, um, I mean, we were, we're talking about roll and rights and I know uh, we're all fans. We, we did have uh, one of our patrons wanted to ask you specifically, Suzanne, what some of your like top roll and write games were. So I thought oh, wow. we'd take this opportunity to just kind of jive about about roll roll and write games a little bit. Uh, I, I mean, and off the top I of did head. not realize that this was going to be an opportunity. <laughs> I'm almost overwhelmed with excitement. <laughs> Woo! My goodness! Oh, we're going to do this. Giving you a gift well, here. Okay. So I love the genre in general, and I think I might have the largest collection of Roland Wrights in the world, like in one collection, because I import them and chase them down and all this other stuff. So I've played a lot of them, and I like ones that are simple, like Super Mega Lucky Box is a great example of a straightforward, simple game. Another one is Quinto. Have you guys ever played Quinto? No, no. It sounds like it's five related. (laughs) kind of it's you know um uh oh i yeah it's it's three rows it's just three rows and you can freely write in numbers in ascending order and they call them score like it's just banana pants again a simple game that has this really extra spice on top of it that's one of my favorites so i like these simple number based ones i really like pathing ones so avenue or kokoro is one of my favorites where you are flipping over cards that determine a path that you can draw and you're trying to connect these different elements on the board by the end of the game and you score points and the way the scoring works. Cartographers. I mean, come on. Of course. Right. Cartographers (laughs) is phenomenal. (laughs) Enough said. But then there's something like Hadrian's Wall. Mm. That's a big one. (laughs) That is a big mamma jamma, right? Like that is massive. And it's so darn good. And what I love about Hadrian's Wall, I think when you look at Hadrian's Wall, you're going to think, oh, this is a lot. Like, this is, you know, do I really want to throw it down or that kind of thing in the moment? The thing with Hadrian's Wall is once you get into the flow and you kind of understand how to play, it's so smooth to play. And I actually play Hadrian's Wall solo a ton because it's that simple to play. Awesome. Uh, Welcome to. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm such a fan of Welcome to and the subsequent games. Uh, I love the double-sided card mechanism where you can kind of see what's coming up. Uh, and in fact, if you've played Welcome to and you know how you fill in the streets where they have to ascend and all that other stuff, that's actually an element of Quinto as well, the game I mentioned earlier. So if you like Welcome to and you want kind of just a streamlined numbers only dice one, then you want to check out Quinto. Um, Metro X, oh, like, and uh, brilliant card based filling in these Metro paths again, so simple, but by the t- end of the game, if you're not weeping from the decisions you made eight turns ago, then you're not playing it right. Kind of game. <laughs> I mean, that's how you play Metro X, right? <laughs> I, I weep like that for most games I play. <laughs> That's my fair. <laughs> I have my moments, you know, and it's okay. We don't need to be ashamed of crying. Like we're all human here. That's right. That's right. Um, let's make a bus route. Love let's make a bus route for a lot of reasons. I love all Sashi and Sashi games. Sashi doesn't know how to make a bad game. That's just a fact. <laughs> and then here we have let's make a bus route. 
flipping right, rolling right game, bingo. Shared writing space, still very uncommon in roll and write games. And Sashi makes a great use of it. It's so much fun to have that shared space. The, the choices that you make, it's very straightforward. It's a very quick game. But again, there's that cleverness that I think you can find in roll and write games that's just brilliant that I love so much. So uh, those are some of my favorite. I mean, I can go like, honestly, I, I could go on, but I won't because <laughs> you don't want your podcast to be five hours long. But uh, well, no, the, the bigger problem is the more you're saying it, the more like, man, I need to be in the, see this collection, and then just start playing them. I feel <laughs> like a, there's this. Hey, I live in the Seattle, Washington area. Y'all ever make it up here. We're going to have a roll and write weekend. Okay. <laughs> there it is. Oh, God. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm looking at this bus game now, too. I'm like, oh, my God. This looks yep. so much fun. I told you so. <laughs> I'll just reiterate oh, uh, for, for listeners. We we did not prep for this. There was no warning given. This is just, Suzanne just has this all ready to go at the drop of a hat. <laughs> that's the level of professionalism you're bringing to the show. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's that's me. Uh, for sure. Professional. All right. It's not fair, though. You can't just ask me. I'm your guest. Right. So then I got it. You can't put me on the spot and then not like give a little here too. so. Come on. Tell me about uh, a couple of your favorites. There's there's nothing. Our, our, ours well, it's are hard all, when you it's all the surface all level them. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I would say welcome to cartographers. Um, You know, we well, liked what was the one we played recently? Long shot. That's fun. That's oh, fun. yeah. That Long was a, shot's that great. Yeah. There you go. There's uh, I love Chris. Handy. Oh, oh, for sure. Was that one rolling right too that he also did, or am I th- making it up? The one where you had like inventions, um, blanking a long time ago. Yeah, c- different color pens and stuff. I Roland right. Wright, yeah, yes, that was oh, him too. Yes, because that was because Longshot was a Roland Wright game. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there, there you go. There's a couple of <laughs> there's a couple of different things. But I mean, <laughs> well yeah, yeah. I can't I can't compete with with your <laughs> Roland Wright knowledge. It's very impressive. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of good ones out there. For sure. And there's a lot more that obviously we need to try ourselves. Okay. So those are all games that uh, we haven't been playing, Will and I. But what we (laughs) have been playing. uh, Let's see. Next we can talk about, we'll talk about a game called Hack Forward. um, Which is one of these uh, escape room in a box type of games they have a few of these they recently had a a new project on kickstarter they come every now and again from this company called key enigma and the theme of this one is this cyber uh, security thing where you're on a computer so you're on a different websites as while at the same time you're interacting with various types of components that you have in front of you and there's a team of hackers that you're working with uh and you're going back and forth trying to solve the puzzles and moving on between different uh envelopes and things and this is a i feel like most escape room games are you know they're they're one and done and often like an exit or an unlock it's like eh, maybe like an hour two hour experience this is this one has eight chapters and each chapter is like roughly an hour. So this is one that will give you a fair amount of bang for your buck. And again, we're going to be uh, reviewing this one uh, more in depth. And we also I don't want to like say too much about it because, you know, when you when it comes to an escape room game, you don't want to spoil any of the puzzles or anything. Uh, but but this was an interesting experience f- from um, certainly like how having that connected storyline I don't think that I can recall I've done an escape room of this style that had that sort of element to it. Was that 
unique for you too, Will? Or is- well, I think because like you said, usually they're one to two hours long. Mm-hmm. Uh, relatively, and the story's just like, oh, you open the. There is no story. Yeah, the tomb or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> but you- this, because it's longer, there's a lot more. Like, there's named characters, and then there's a twist and stuff like that. Oh yeah, there's some twists so, in there. Yeah. Uh, and also the puzzle themselves, usually I feel like it's like it's all paper things or it's all digital. This had a lot of weird things going on and uh, some some resources that I did not expect we'd have to use. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those games where you you can use the Internet, so you might need to like look at Google Maps for something. And yeah, I, I definitely I always like when uh, I've seen some of these escape room games where, yeah, it's not just cards. Like you said, they actually put like it looks like a real business card in here or it, like, it's like you have to look at someone's airline tickets or something. And the, for what is, I, I believe like a relatively low budget independent game, uh, the, the components and everything feel cool. It makes you feel like you're experiencing a story of some kind. So, so that, that, that was pretty fun. And um, uh, I don't know that it's, I, I feel like this one was, and in some cases, at least for most of it, like a little bit on the easier side of of puzzles. But I don't. Maybe I'm jaded because I've like done too many of these. I don't know. You're just that good. <laughs> I, I I find that interesting. You say that because I remember the, the one the puzzle. You'd be like, "Will, if I had that, I'd be staring at it for two hours." Uh, oh, that's true. Well, yeah. No, I'm not saying. Well, there, there's towards the end, there were a couple of bigger, more complicated ones. But I feel like in like the first four chapters, <laughs> which is, you know, half the game, uh, it was, I don't know. I'm, I'm used to like having to, or there was also one puzzle where the solution, I, I was like trying to translate Latin. <laughs> I was like, Oh, this oh, is wow. some, this is some complicated. I was trying to be like three steps ahead. Like, Oh man, this is going to be a cool, like translation puzzle. And you were like, Oh, the answer is just written here. I found it. Try this. <laughs> like it had nothing to do with what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> so uh maybe i was overthinking some of these things I, I i will say by the way just a small hint if you ever do this one of the puzzles is time dependent mm. like it will matter when you're actually playing. oh oh so like like time of day dependence yes yeah not not like you're on a timer yeah yeah it's not a timer based uh game well, technically it is, but they have like, you can compare your scores to people in which I'm like, well, yeah. how did this person finish the chapter in under 15 minutes? That's interesting too. Yeah. What, Cause it's all online based or most of it is, um, yeah, there's actually a leaderboard <laughs> of like your name is entered and your fat best time, which is, uh, you could easily cheat that system, I think, but I, I guess maybe it's just the honor system, I suppose. Uh, so that game is Hack Forward. And now uh, we've talked about this one a little bit before. And I, again, running theme, we're going to have a, a full review of this later this week. But Terraforming Mars, Ares Expedition. Uh, now, when we first talked about this, our impressions were fairly mixed. This is the spinoff of ter- the original Terraforming Mars card game version, where you're trying to terraform Mars, of course, by getting different cards, building an engine. And you're also... Uh, doing simultaneous play via these phase cards where every round people choose which phases they want to go through. So you might not do everything every round. Uh, but I, I know I, I've seen, Suzanne, that you have also been getting into Ares Expedition. So I'm I'm, I'm kind of hoping you've had a, a more positive experience you can talk about <laughs> other than, so people don't have to just listen to me be grumpy for the rest <laughs> of this discussion. I- Hey, 
and it's okay to be grumpy about it too, right? Every game can't be for every person. And I think it's pretty rare that a game is just bad, right? Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's not for you. And, and I've been talking about it a little bit on social media, and I've actually gotten a lot of positive feedback from players who view it as giving them a feel of terraforming Mars, but in a shorter experience. And mm-hmm. so they really value that. Personally, I've been playing it solo, and I really am enjoying it overall. Because I like the action selection mechanism and I like terraforming Mars as a big game, but I I like engine builders in general. So as you're getting the cards out and trying to build a little engine, the, the biggest critique I have on it right now is especially for solo play. I haven't played it multiplayer yet. So keep that in mind the there's a the deck of cards is massive, right? (laughs) There's so many cards in this game, which sounds good but when you're playing solo and you're trying to build an engine or form a strategy the volume of cards actually feels like it's a bit working against you because you just have no way of knowing what you're going to get so in those first turns as you're like oh i'm gonna build a little plant engine here so that i have a lot of plant tokens that i can play with but then your next four card draws have nothing to do with that at all. You're kind of mm. disheartened and you need to adjust. So arguably, it's on you to recognize that in the game and be flexible and work around it. I will say I find that a little bit frustrating that I find, you know, as you're, as you're staring at this massive deck of cards in front of you, you're like, okay, please, please, please just help generate this resource for me. And, you know, it's wah, wah. It, it kind of is a bummer on that front. So that's been my biggest challenge with Terraforming Mars Ares Expedition so far. But mechanically, I'm really enjoying it overall. So I want to talk, because I'm actually the only one who's done the solo and cooperative. Jonathan has not done those. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I think one of the things we, we, we talk about in the cooperative mode, there's actually a limited resource the way it works is pretty much they you put a bunch of cubes out and each time you play a phase card you take one away it's your timer but one of those cubes uh, three of them you if someone takes it allows the people to trade a card so what happens is if someone's going for like a um a saturn engine and you draw that card you're like oh this gives the saturn symbol it gives you extra points and it just feels so much more fun when you get that you can give that person the card they need so I feel like what Ares needs is almost to find a way to either A, in the competitive or solo mode, like there's a way to maybe like look at the top 10 cards and pick a card out from that. So you can maybe find the thing you need. Sure. Or even just go all in on solo, like or not solo, like cooperative. Like we made a big cooperative mode. You're all working together. Your goal, you're going to be scored. Like if you hit 100 points, you, you, you're you're good enough. Sort of similar to, you know, cartographer solo where you look at your score. And I feel like because that mechanic made things a lot more fun, especially when you have when you are building when there's very specific engines. If you look through Terraforming Mars, there's very obvious engines. Sure. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I, I highly recommend taking a look at that because that, just the cooperative, just to see how that works. Because I feel like that's going to be the kind of thing where you're like, that's what I'm looking for. Yeah, yeah. I ran, I ran into because I ran into the same uh, frustration you mentioned. I imagine in the solo mode, it could be even more disheartening because it's it's all on you. <laughs> There's nobody else to go through yeah. that deck for you. Yeah. This this just made me think of something I never even questioned until now. But now I want to ask you guys: 
because in Ares Expedition, one of the things they have you do that they specifically tell you to do is uh, you discard cards. Maybe maybe we did this wrong. I'm pretty sure this is what, what it says. You discard cards face down, right? You're, mm-hmm. you're meant to so that other players can't see what you got rid of. And like you said, there's a huge deck of cards in the game. I don't know. Do we think that that really affects balance? Like, do we think that they play tested and found that people would be looking at what people discarded and find massive strategies from that? Because in a multiplayer game, at least that could actually be something that helps you to at least be like, oh, well, that card's not I'm not going to get that one. So I don't have to hope I'm digging for it. Like, why? What does that accomplish? The face down discard pile in this game? I think it's time. Oh, it's I just think- to stop people from thinking about <laughs> yes. it. Yes. <laughs> I Yeah, that feels about right to me. <laughs> yeah. All right, fair enough. All right. We've we solved it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, Aries Expedition, you'll see our full review. But yeah, I've I definitely don't uh, think the game is bad, but yeah, like you said, it's not totally for me, although I I really I ha- I have enjoyed my time with it. I would even like play it again, but I just if given the choice between that and the original, I'm I'm taking the original every every time. Um, but, uh, we will see, we will see how that develops in the future. Maybe they'll have more expansions and things. Maybe, maybe something will change my mind. Now, I think what I want to do is real quick with you guys play a board game game. I forgot to load in the sound bite, but I'll put that in post, <laughs> but their w- listeners will have heard it. Uh, so, and I, I'm bringing back an, an old favorite from like three or four episodes ago it's a real it's a real classic that all our viewers have clamored for and that game uh it's one of will's favorites i know is board game blend and uh i'm hoping that suzanne with your breadth of knowledge of the board game world that maybe maybe you'll you'll excel at this but i but i don't know we will see I'm worried because I don't know which game it is. So I'm like, why do I like this one? Is oh, it, yeah. You don't, well, you don't like it, any of the them. One I did, the is the, the one I did good at? Or is it? <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I think you dislike most of them. But it just oh. it just reminds everyone just how poor my memory is when it comes to games. I'm good when I'm playing them. But then afterwards, like, oh, you played that game, right? I'll be like, oh, maybe. And then, like, I'm sure at, like after this podcast, I bet I'll think of, like, three rolling rights. I'm like, oh, why did I mention those? <laughs> right. Yeah. That's all right. That's why we have um, the the fans to write in and tell us when we were wrong or something like that. So anyway, Board Game Blend, what's going to happen is I have taken two board games and I have blended their titles together uh, so that they create one common thread or idea. So they share one word between the two titles of these games. For example, one of the ones we used last time was Imperial Settlers of Catan. So, uh, and I'm going to give a clue that describes what this theoretical hybrid game would be uh, if you combine these two games. And it's up to the two of you to try to buzz in uh, and guess what the correct names of both games are, if you think you can. Right. And, And I will, I expect fully, to be terrible at this game because it uses the same part of the brain that puns are generated out of. And anybody who knows me knows I, I, me and puns are no bueno. So (laughs) I I think you've got an advantage here, buddy. Oh, we'll see. We'll see. But you see, I'm bad at words in general. (laughs) 
okay. well, my favorite part of all these games is the silence. So I'm, I'm going to be loving it every minute of it. I've just got a, 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 a primo selection of clues here for you. So here's your first one. All right. First up, we've got a game that takes place in multiple different eras, most of them medieval, uh, that has players telling tales and working together to solve problems throughout history. Kind of redundant, some of those clues, but <laughs> uh, solving problems and telling tales throughout history in multiple different eras, most of them medieval based eras. And also, if uh, if if you I think just I know want, one oh, game, but I can't possibly think of another one. Uh, uh, yeah, I've got maybe one game, but uh... telling tales is a key part of this. Oh, this clue. Uh, uh, well, here's your silence. You wanted it. You like it. You got is, it, buddy. This is what I'm into. I'm I'm happy right now. <laughs> Son of a biscuit. Oh god. Uh, if hmm. if uh, if what goes like last time, feel free to uh, give up on competing and simply work together to try to solve your problems. <laughs> Maybe you each have a different game. I don't know. Okay. Well. Okay. Let's Actually, be- let's let's t- table the competition on this one. I've got a game in mind. You've got a game in mind. You want to see if it's the same game? Sure. Uh, okay. I'm thinking through the ages or roll through Son the of ages. a biscuit. That's my game too. <laughs> well, because it's, it, it's like that's historical stuff. Like he said, medieval and it has something that should like, there should be a game that ends or starts with those words. Right. Should like I, age um, of empires, like through the age of empires or something. Right. Uh, yeah. I was thinking age of mythology or something. <laughs> should I, let, should I let you know that uh, that's not one of the two games? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, oh, there's uh, era, right? There's era. The um, the it's not a roll and write game, but it could be. Like, let's be honest, right? With the massive buildings and things from what was it? Plan B Games, I think, did it. Right. Um, What's the exact clue wording, Jonathan? All right, a game <laughs> that takes place in multiple different eras, most of them medieval, has players telling tales and working together to solve problems throughout history. Working together. I like how you is keep there, on is, saying is this. There telling <laughs> like, like that's going to help me. <laughs> uh, God, no way. Yeah, telling tales is not. Because my mind then went to time stories. But. Sure. Good one. <laughs> um, all right. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, you know, time stories is one of the two games. Show off. <laughs> <laughs> but what you don't tell stories in that. Right. Oh, um, oh, is it? It's Once Upon a Time Stories, which doesn't technically work. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> time Stories is T dot I dot. Get out of here. No, no, you're banned. This is this game is over. <laughs> Will gets negative points. <laughs> Ouch. Uh, that's Once Upon a Time Stories. I'll. Give it to you. You got them both of your own volition. All right. So that was your warm up. Now you're now your heads are in the game. That was the warm up. (laughs) But now you're going to your brain is ready. You're going to like the next ones. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. They're going to get easier. Maybe next clue. (laughs) Man your battle stations and keep your ship afloat while there's still time. And beware. Some of you are extraterrestrials lurking in the shadows. 
keep your ship afloat while there's still time. But beware yeah, some of your extraterrestrials. <laughs> okay, I got one. I got I mean, one. My, I had an idea for the first part, but now it does. It doesn't match with. Oh, what's the name of that game? I feel like I should go backwards now. That seemed to work better. Um, oh God, I think it's just called Escape. I want to say. I, you feel free to Google or Board Game Geek search games. There are no rules about that. <laughs> oh, I did. Oh, we can. We all right. All right. All right. Um. Hmm. All right, that I just right thinking the right alien game, but I don't think it's the right one for. Okay, give me the clue know. one more time. All right, man, your battle stations. Keep your ship afloat while there's still time, and beware. Some of you are extraterrestrials lurking in the shadows. Like there's the ah, uh, no, there's right. the Osprey game, right? What's that? Is that called? Escape I think you're world? both thinking of the same game. <laughs> yeah, great. Was that Osprey? I don't know. Let me see. Uh, Okie dokie. Go for it if you've got it. I'm. No, 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 no. It was Osprey. Um. Okay. Keep your ship afloat. Okay. So now that we know that one, but now the keep your ship afloat, man, your stations. While there's still time, <laughs> I'll stress. I, I I think I know what it is, and you're gonna hate me for because I can't remember the name of it. <laughs> so I'm like, <laughs> if you if know what it is and you remember one of them, it should be pretty okay. easy to get the okay. other one. Okay, I I looked it up and I, I think I got it now. <laughs> All right, well. is it Escape from the Aliens in Outer Space Alert? That's it. <laughs> oh, good one. Okay, I had the Escape, but I didn't have the Space Alert. Good one. All right. All I right. was thinking pirate. I thought rattle battle got loop, but I'm like, nothing has. Have, I was worried maybe that would send you in the wrong direction, but <laughs> you know, technically you're keeping it afloat. All right. The next one I know you're, you guys are going to get right away. Is it involved gargoyles? We'll okay. See. But so when I don't get it, that's going to make me feel so bad. <laughs> Come on. No, 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 no. You're going to get it though. hundred percent. A hundred percent. You. Is that the clue? hundred percent. You're so smart. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Travel far and wide, making decisions and experiencing strange and unusual events from demons and genies to crime scenes and elder gods. From demons, travel far and wide, going to make choices and experience strange events. Okay, I know. This one was for me. From demons and genies to crime right. scenes and elder gods. Mythos tales of the Arabian Nights. Oh, Will's on fire. He's got it. Mythos you tales chose of two the of my favorites. <laughs> so I've never played Mythos Tales. I would have never it's, gotten that one. It's. Uh, have you ever played the, like, I, I think it used to be Z-Man games. I think uh, someone, but the uh, Sherlock Holmes. Consulting detective. Consulting yeah, detective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that with the. Eldritch, you know, paint a coat, which yeah, is it's like, no longer in print. So maybe it's this interesting. Was... It had a lot of like issues. Like it, it could have used maybe a bit more time just polishing some things and spelling and whatnot. A good idea, and one I think someone else could implement very well. Very but, dull. 
Yeah. All right. I'm, we're not going to stop until you get one, Suzanne. So we're going to keep going. Oh, no. Okay. Well, I better go get a snack. <laughs> All right. Bring back some for me. Next clue. <laughs> Next clue. You're going to like this one. Different clans represented by over a dozen colors are fighting for territory and honor, whether they be using swords, magic powers, or razors. Razors? <laughs> That's the part you probably won't get. Don't worry about that part as much. Different clans represented by over a dozen colors fighting for territory and honor. For some reason, I'm just, I'm, I'm picturing one of the Portal games. One of these either, is a game that came out this or, and, year. And Llama. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> There's your clue. Oh, one, now one we're getting from, like extra clues. That's right. <laughs> one of them's from this year. And another one had a, uh, it wasn't, didn't come out this year, but a, a companion game, so to speak, a sister game was released this year. Okay, well, okay, far and wide. Um, I think I know what one of the games is, but the now you're throwing me off with the it was out this year. <laughs> the uh, the first title in this clue is a game from this year, very new, very, very hot. Oh, Red Rising Sun. You did it. I knew you would do it. Red Rising oh, I was, Sun. I was way off. I was I trying to think something with like near and far. I thought you were doing something off that ti- those titles. Uh, I was excited. <laughs> All right. We're going to go out on that high note. I'm so proud of you. You did. Thank you. you did. Thank you for finally throwing me one. I appreciate it. You did great. I told you. I, I knew you could do it. I always believed in you. And, uh, I appreciate it. But before we finish the go the show, I we are going to take a quick trip to the Meeple Gallery, and I got a bumper for this one. Meeple Gallery. That's right. Our little meeples, our friends of the show, have written in with questions, and we're just going to throw them out there. Just a couple of questions for us to answer uh, to finish off the show. Uh, some specifically relating to, uh, we asked our patrons for some questions on this one. You don't need to be a patron to write us a question, by the way. If you're listening to this, email us at meeplegallery at gmail.com. But uh, we have a couple questions relating to board game content creation that I thought might be interesting to throw out there. Uh, Christopher Deanda asked, when did you know you wanted to become a content creator? Are you super passionate about board games? Is it your personality? Are you just naturally charismatic in front of the camera? Or did it fall in your lap by accident? What are some of the more rewarding parts of being a content creator? And what are some of the hardest things that people don't know about? So I would love to get your perspective on this, Suzanne. Oh, I'd love. And I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, I wonder what the guys are going to (laughs) say. I've told this story before, so apologies if it's repetitive to anybody. But I've been in hobby games since 94. I know exactly when because it was the summer I discovered Magic the Gathering because I live in the Seattle area. And that's what pulled me in. And then through my local game store. Note, it was not an FLGS. It was just Mm. an LGS. Uh, (laughs) I discovered board games. And that just hooked me into the hobby ever since. So I've been playing games for a fairly long time relative to mm, a lot of other content creators out there right now. And 
I realized about mm, 10 years ago that even though I was a passionate gamer and I, you know, go to game conventions and I own hundreds and hundreds of games and all this other stuff, that I didn't feel like my existence in the hobby was reflected in the media that I was seeing around games. And after some conversations and things like this, I realized that I kind of had to be the change that I wanted to see in the world. And that's what got me started on making media. I found something that I thought I could cover with intelligence and knowledge that was a little different, which at the time was board game apps, and started doing a segment for the Dice Towers board game breakfast show. And that's what really got me rolling um, eight years ago or so. Yeah. So, I mean, that's how I got into it. And I I think you guys know me well enough to know that that, that's something like thematically carries through for me to this day is – trying to make board gaming more diverse and more inclusive of a wide variety of people. And I've really enjoyed that. I've gotten a lot of community feedback from people who've expressed that I have had some success on that for them and that in ways that, you know, I help them feel recognized or a little safer or things like that. And so that's been really rewarding and really fueled me forward through the hard times. And I think that as you guys definitely know, right, there are a lot of challenges in content creation that maybe aren't always visible, whether it's technical issues, like you forgot to turn your microphone on and you don't realize until the end of the show, (laughs) or uh, whether it's perceptions in the community about, like, for example, uh, you guys know, obviously, I do the podcast for the Dice Tower. I'm one of the four co-hosts there. How... Do you, do you would you guys assume that I get a lot of review copies? I think uh, most people, uh, I'm sure, would, <laughs> and I would assume you get at least a fair few. Yeah, right. And and so I think it's a matter of perspective for sure, because certainly I get more review copies than some other media content creators. But less than fifty percent of the games I talk about in the podcast are review copies. There mm. are a few publishers that consistently support Mandy and I through review copies, but. There's a lot of publishers that don't. And that's okay. That's not perhaps that's not a complaint on my part, but it's a perception that I find I often deal with where people think, well, you're just saying nice things because you got that game for free. And I'm like, no, I paid for this game. I, in right. fact, I imported it from Germany and paid a premium for this game. I have nothing to do with getting a free copy. And so, like, those are some of the weird little challenges that can come up. Certainly being public in the industry comes with a lot of positives in terms of connecting with the community and maybe having a little bit of an open door already in terms of getting to know new people or having a seat at the table. But sometimes that visibility comes with challenges as well, especially when you kind of can talk about contentious topics as sometimes I do. And a lot of people don't care for that as well. And because you're visible, they know who you are and they know where to find you and how to tell you their opinions about you. And so that's another challenge that sometimes I personally have to deal with. And I don't know if you guys get as much of that, but being in the world of media, being in the world of content is thrilling. I love that I feel like I'm part of this community. I love that I get to feel like I contribute. I get so much out of it. And, uh, you know, I've been doing it for eight-ish years now, which is a, oh my gosh, that's, I mean, if you round up, that's like almost a decade. Holy cow. Yeah. So yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. that's that's some of my shorthand there. What about you guys? Well, I mean, 
obviously one of the things we got to say, I don't think we deal with nearly as much as like you mentioned, like your social media presence. Like I see on Twitter, sometimes you seem to get tired, even if you aren't talking about controversial. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> st- that still happens. Luckily for us, they just seem to, everyone seems to just ignore that. Like we'll make a tweet and nothing happens. Um, and that's another thing, always the psychological. One big thing I think that always people don't realize is the, the ratio of like how much time needs to be put in to make the oh, thing. Oh gosh, yeah. Versus right. how much time is put out. Right. Like, oh, <laughs> like that 15 to 30 minute video does not take 15 to 30 minutes to make. Right. Yeah. 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 There's a lot, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of playing, a lot of, you know, planning, filming, editing. Yeah. All that stuff goes into it for sure. Um, I mean, I can speak also to the, uh, asking about how we got started. I don't know if how many current listeners uh, remember or are aware that Roll for Crit originated also as an online store, and uh, we sold. I did board not know games. that. And, whoa, yeah. I did not know that. The yeah, uh, good. the idea was. <laughs> oh, was, okay, noted. <laughs> no. Uh, initially, the idea was like, hey, you know, like. You go to a game store, and this comes from my own. Like, I started with Magic a lot, too. Is like, with Magic, it's like, oh, sometimes someone's there to be like, oh, this is, you should go for this deck. This, like, helpful advice. Like, what if we did an online store that also had that kind of presence, which was the initial thought. And it turns out that it is very hard to run an online store when something like Amazon exists. <laughs> yeah, we... we- we firsthand learned we could. I mean, you could fill a whole episode of talking about how hard it is to be a board game retailer, but that was yeah. Initially, we did that alongside uh, kind of our quote unquote content, and then a few years ago, we just said, you know what? Let's why don't we just do the thing we actually enjoy and cut out the part that isn't really that is much harder and <laughs> isn't really working for us. Sure. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I yeah, just the I, I, I certainly. I'm not just naturally charismatic and good in front of a camera, as Christopher uh, <laughs> put it in the in his email. No. But well, I don't I don't need a camera for to be missing that. That's a, that's a that's a constant. I I'm making sure to bring you a standard. <laughs> Thank you. But definitely, uh, definitely super passionate about board games, and it's yeah, it was just. Uh, I don't know. There's just something fun about just like being online and talking about stuff. But I also do want to, we, we have another question I want to throw in that you kind of already addressed because that's, again, that's just how professional you are. You don't even I need to ask you the question. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Scott Armstrong asked, how can established content creators work to foster diversity and inclusion in the hobby? Uh, and I think you, you spoke some about that and, it is something for us that, you know, we try to be conscious of uh, that uh, we tr- try to reach out and have guests and form relationships with people who are not like us, who I know I feel, uh, you know, somewhat somewhat of guilt <laughs> just being like, you know, the, yeah, the default it's, it's little, image of the board gamer. It's a little sad when we go to conventions and we p- play a fun game of how many Wills Jonathans can we spot in the crowd? Sure. <laughs> right. sure. <laughs> right. How many? Yep. It looks like me. Yep. There's me. There's me. There's me. Um, yeah. So that that's what I would say. But I would, uh, it's Suzanne, I'm sure you have some more experience and some more specific kind of ideas you could throw out there that people might or for us that we could use too. <laughs> yes. Specifically for Jonathan and Will, I need <laughs> yeah. to speak to you and you alone guys here. No. Um, 
I, I love this question. And it's tough because I think when we were talking about misconceptions uh, about media people or things like that is I think one of the misconceptions can be the size, how big an entity is. And I think publishers deal with this too, is this idea that they are, um, you, you know, this, this publisher XYZ is a big corporation and they have all this money and they're just rolling in board game money or whatever. When that's very often true, even publishers that you might expect uh, to be bigger. Right. And so um, I think that that's true of media too. And it can be really difficult on even quote unquote established media creators to to think about ooh what what do I do how can I help I want to help but I also feel like I'm putting myself at risk and mm, I understand the the complexity there and I think that what media folks specifically have is influence and I know so many people hate the word influencer and oh my <laughs> gosh I totally get that Right. But the reality is, is that once you establish any kind of audience, you have influence within that audience because those people are your audience for a reason. And I think that when I talk to media folk, it's about are you using your influence, large, small, the specific audience you're speaking to, the specific format platform that you have? Are you using that in an ethical, kind way to foster diversity and inclusion when you're able to? And you know, it's kind of this thing too with board games where it's sometimes you'll get people who are anti-inclusion and their kind of pithy kickback will be, well, does every game need to have a black, disabled, gay, polyamorous <laughs> character now? And, and yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. Thank you for asking. Goodbye. <laughs> and in reality, no, you know, we're really talking about a big picture. We're really talking about systems and every moment is different. And and I appreciate that. But exactly what you guys were saying, you're you're making, you're being mindful about the guests you're having, right? And I think that that is a great example of a step that established people can do. I don't want to speak out of turn or reveal confidences, but I've talked a lot to Rodney Smith of the Watch It Play channel, which I think anybody who's listening to our podcasts knows Rodney Smith. And he's made an effort to be very mindful about promoting people and projects online to his audience that might come from an underrepresented background. He's also made a real effort to, in his own way, speak to issues around diversity and inclusion in the board game, respecting boundaries and things like that. But he's really made that effort as well. And I think that that kind of thing is is really valuable. I also think it's very valuable and can be very challenging, especially for people that aren't from marginalized groups, to try to recognize when a game might not be 100% or 90% or 47% kind of... <laughs> putting forth that effort. And for example, on the podcast, when Mandy and I are talking about a board game and we see a board game that has something that makes us uncomfortable from a theme or a representation point of view, but we will say it, you know, we'll, we in fact just had a recent podcast episode where we talked about our favorite games representing or being set in the old West, the old American West. And one of the things that we say up front is that we acknowledge 
a lot of games that are set in the Old West are really problematic from a thematic point of view, especially in how they represent indigenous people of North America, especially in how they represent or don't represent the complete lack of representation for black and native, uh, you know, like, for example, South Western American native from Mexico and things like that, like their role in the, the community and society at the time. And we just say that. And not everybody loves that, but it's not about us railing on it. It's just an acknowledgement that, hey, this thing exists and we like this game anyway, or this job, this game did a really great job of including that. Um, there's a lot of things with that, again, that influence that you have as media folk that you can do and I encourage you to do. And a lot of times it doesn't feel very comfortable, but like anything that's new, the more you do it, the easier it gets. And you got to start somewhere. And if you care, you'll make that effort. And I know so many people in this hobby, like you guys, I talk to all the time, like so many people I talk to, they care and they want to help. And I think that's amazing. And that that's really the reflection of the core of our community and what makes our hobby special. So well said. I mean, couldn't possibly add to that, but that, I mean, that was uh excellent and yeah that's we definitely try to be mindful of it i guess I, I would just say also for people listening who aren't content creators another uh great thing you can do that's very easy is just look for different designers uh, and people in the industry that you can support from different backgrounds uh like i think there's a perception that and it's partially true that there, you know, it is just a white male dominated space. But if you look, there's a lot of diversity that does exist out there. I, I think um, Elizabeth Hargrave on her website has a great list of uh, just mm -hmm. various women and, and people from all over the country, different backgrounds in game design. And there's a lot of great games that you can discover that you might you might play already and not even realize, you know, who's designing it that are, you know, you can go out there and try to support those people. So, uh, love it. Thank yeah. you. There you go. That, that puts a cap on that. Thank you for those questions. If you want to, uh, write us to us about any board game related subject for a future episode, again, you could do so right to uh meeple gallery at gmail.com. Now, Suzanne, you have, you have put in the work, you have earned these experience points fair and square. And as your reward, you can now tell our listeners if they don't know already how and where they can follow you and keep up with everything you're doing online. Achievement unlocked. Sweet. <laughs> I feel like I'm leveling up with you guys. Oh, yeah. uh, if you want to hear me babble about board games, you can always listen to me on the Dice Tower podcast with my part partner, Mandy Hutchinson, who is on. We share every other episode with Tom Vassell and Eric Summerer. You can find me online. You can always email me if you have a question about roll and write games or about anything that you might want to talk about within the gaming industry. I'm at four, I'm 425 Suzanne at Gmail. And then I am very active on Twitter at 425 Suzanne. I never recommend anybody follows me there because I'm very active on Twitter. <laughs> but if you're so inclined, you can find me there as well. No, no, I'll, I'll tell people to follow you there. <laughs> great, great tweets. <laughs> yeah. uh, enjoy the activity. Uh, so we'll have links <laughs> to all that stuff as usual in the show notes. Definitely take a look. 
And hey, if you want more Roll for Crit, you can find our YouTube shows, uh, live streams, merch, and other stuff at rollforcrit.com. Like I said, there's some fun uh, reviews coming out later this week. Uh, if you like us, you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash rollforcrit. Uh, or you could just rate and review us on iTunes if you like the podcast. Or again, write us some letters. Just talk to us. We like to we like to feel heard. You know, that's that's fun <laughs> to know people are listening. Uh, once again, thank you so much, Suzanne. It's been a delight to have you. You're a you're you have spirits. You've got you've got a magic touch, and you've, <laughs> you've elevated this five to something. I don't know if it's a twenty, but it's higher than a five. <laughs> <laughs> oh, phew. Thank goodness. I was worried. <laughs> uh, just to bring it all home for us. And that's the end of this episode. I'm Jonathan. I'm Will. And this has been Roll for Crit. Bye, everybody. Bye.